This is Color Speak, unveiling truth for light. Hi, I'm your host, Janet Huxley, author J.M. Huxley. Welcome to this podcast to unveil truth and uplift you. Here you will find truth talk for relevance restoration, social influence, and dynamic purpose in all places and all seasons. Here we will unveil truth for color. Light is where you'll find truth. Truth is where you'll find color. Color is where you'll find God. He hasn't gone missing from the planet, you know. He's still giving us assurances of his devotion to us. He's still pursuing us, whether we realize it or not. He's walking right alongside and communicating. This is a place to talk about this for bringing examples into the light to encourage one another, for exposing our miracles for celebration and sharing our supernatural stories, the big ones and the little ones in the everyday too, the ways in which our God is at work for us. This is a place to encourage one another through those stories, through that sharing. We are designed to help one another. When I first began thinking about doing a podcast, I knew I would want to have my friend Kathy as one of my first guests. Kathy is the award-winning author of Broken to Beautifully Whole, a book about her own journey to healing from childhood sexual abuse. Her objective is to end child abuse on all levels, and she is an outspoken advocate for the role each one of us plays in accomplishing that to create a safe world for our children. Before I have her explain more about that, I want to tell you about what I see in Kathy. Okay, so one of the first things I noticed about Kathy Studer was her joy. I met her at a writer's conference last year. We bumped into each other getting coffee, and I invited her immediately to come sit with my friend Karen and me. Her smile drew me in. She's the kind of person you want to be around. When I learned about the topic of her book, once we were seated, I was taken back. And let me tell you, I've told her this on more than one occasion. It's hard to imagine the girl written about in the book is the same confident, radiant, beautiful woman I now know and love. How could this be her story? What is her secret for overcoming such trauma and living in such a beautiful place now? I think it's safe to sum up in one word. Perspective. Kathy's perspective is unique. She has a faith in a God who is real, and faith changes everything. So I'd love to have you get to know my friend Kathy today and to be encouraged by her story, no matter what trauma you've been through. And I think we can agree we've all been through trauma to one degree or another. Unfortunately, the statistics Kathy is about to give you regarding sexual abuse are staggering. So I think it's safe to say that her message is extremely viable and important today. And so without further ado, let's talk to Kathy about breaking the silence for this purpose, bringing what needs to be exposed out of the darkness and into the light. Welcome, my friend. No, oh, thank you. My goodness, what an introduction. Um, it is an honor, my friend, and I'm so happy to be here to share the message and spend time with you. I love it. Thank you so much for joining me. So I know all about my friend, Kathy Studer, but for our listeners' benefit, give me some more deets. Tell me what's going on with you. What is your message? And 
What's your life look like? Well, I am an author, coach, and speaker, and hairstylist by trade who got and received a calling for a path for a purpose that I never saw coming. And right now I am on a mission to propel healing because like you said, the truth is we are all a little broken, but I want everyone to know is the gift is we can all become whole again. And I'm also a warrior to raise awareness and create a call to action because I know in my soul, every single person can take an action to defeat the childhood sexual abuse statistics. So I am, I was a survivor and I went through my healing so I could thrive. And I stand before you today as a warrior for change, change in healing and change in defeating the statistics. I love that. And I want to get into your action plan. But before I go any further, tell me what propelled you to write the book, Broken to Beautifully Whole? Well, as I mentioned, I'm a hairstylist by trade, and I see clients every four, six, eight weeks. And you can develop a close relationship when you see some <laughs> often. One of my clients had a nice smile and a sweet personality, yet I knew she suffered from some depression and PTSD, and I had no idea why. And one day she shared with me the why. She, too, had been sexually abused as a child. Mm. I shared with her my story, which I personally had never shared with another client before. And we chatted a bit, and she left for after her appointment was finished. When she came back for her next appointment, she asked me questions that I had never thought about. She said, Kathy, did you suffer depression? I paused. I had depressed days, and I had a tremendous amount of shame that I carried way too long, yet suffer? I did not. What about PTSD, she asked. Again, I paused. I had angst. I had worry. I had complete lack of trust with humanity, yet I did not suffer. Were you medicated, right? She asked me. I know it's beneficial for some, yet I didn't. Don't get me wrong. I was broken and I had a pilgrimage to walk. She looked me square in the eye that day and said, you need to write a book, girlfriend. And I laughed it off because I couldn't see the value and had it laid on me. And I just continued and reflected as to why do some people suffer trauma and go on to live a fairly successful life? And, and then why do others suffer more? One person no better than another. What did I actually do on my journey to become whole again? And I took notes on index cards and wrote down books I loved quotes that empowered me, scripture I drew strength from, and attributes I applied into my life. And then the next event is fascinating. So I had this unorganized pile of index cards. Now what do I do? Dare I write a book? 
one of my dear friends invited me to a United Way Women's Leadership Network talk. Brooke Axtell was speaking. She shared her message of survival, of how she became a victim of human trafficking by a family nanny, and then later in life became a victim of domestic violence. Because unfortunately, when we suffer one form of trauma, we are far more likely to suffer another. Why do you think that is? Because we don't move through and out of the trauma because it hurts. Mm. And we want to feel that pain. It's easier to not. So we carry it. And unfortunately, when we carry it, we then become an easier victim for abuse, which is another reason I am a warrior to propel people through and out of their traumas. So what you're saying is to expose the darkness to the light is to redeem it and to heal it. And far too few of us do that. We keep our junk hidden. Yes, yes, yes. It's true. And it's, it's almost like we have to feel the acute pain to get rid of the chronic pain. Hmm. That's an interesting thought. Yeah, because otherwise we carry it and it does turn into chronic pain and we stay in sure. that victim role. And when we stay in that role, again, it's it's so much easier to become a victim again. Mm. That's really hard to wrap a mind around. So when you were talking about not seeing the value, certainly cognitively you would have known the value, but when you say you didn't understand the value it was probably more based upon or rooted in the fact that you knew this was going to cost you something, right? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, how brave did you have to be to make the decision to move forward with this? Because prior to writing a book, uh, not many people knew, right? Your story. And now to write it makes it real. It's to expose it. Yeah. Yeah. It's petrifying. It is so petrifying. I can't imagine. It's hard to say it out loud. And even though I was fortunate and blessed to walk my pilgrimage and I had finally dropped my heavy baggage of shame, you're still petrified because most of us want to be liked and loved. And you just don't know how people are going to respond. Right. And that is scary. Mm. Yeah. You know, then you've got family members that think dirty laundry should stay dirty laundry. You shouldn't expose it. But yet that's exactly what perpetrators want. The abuse survives and thrives in silence and they prey upon that. And when we bury it and don't expose it, it continues and it thrives and it grows. And when we break that silence and we share that message and we listen to the unheard voice, we can defeat and we empower ourselves and our children instead of the perpetrator. I love this. This is this is really important information. So one of the things, and I've told you this before, I love about what you're doing is that, and we'll get into the story a little bit here in a minute, but your story is something that looks different than so many. And I love that so many authors really look to writing to do some healing, to vent or decompress, right? So it it feels like the right thing to do. And yet, 
I, I find that so many will wallow sort of in that state of despair because our greatest pain is our greatest platform. But it's interesting how we use that platform. And so many I, I found in messages seem wearying the message. I know the intention is there. Of course, it's, it's double edged. Like I said, there's on the one hand, the need to decompress and to share and to get it out, you know, in order to provide for healing. And there really is for most an intention to help others along the way. The problem is, there's a little bit of a disconnect, or at least I should say the the waters are a bit muddied because I've seen people camp there. And that's not you at all. So the thing about your book, Broken to Beautifully Whole, is you share what happened, you do it succinctly, and not graphically, and then you move beyond that to share and to live in the message of hope. And and therein lies the difference. And I know you're going to share your attributes with us. And those are those key points that you discuss that gave you the healing to move forward. So and then you'll have that action plan for us. But before we get there, give us a brief story or synopsis of what happened and your mother's involvement in that healing process. Yeah, I, uh, my mom worked nights when I was a child and my, when my parents divorced when I was one and my mom remarried when I was five. And when I was six years old, one night when I had gone to bed, I was awoken by a light standing at the foot of my bed And, um, you know, as a child, I always worried about the monsters under the bed. Little did I know Mm. the monster would come, but it wouldn't be from under the bed. And that monster would be my stepfather. And my stepfather, who had woke me up in the middle of the night and unfortunately took me downstairs, told me I was bad. And that's the night the, the abuse started. And the abuse lasted for six years. That's just inconceivable to me. Six years out of your 12. Yeah. A long time. Half your life at that point. Okay. I'm jumping ahead. No, you're you're fine. So I was 12 and I will never forget the night it ended. Uh, It was New Year's Eve night and I stayed up late as we were allowed to watch Dick Clark's New Year's Rockin' Eve and I had gone to bed and unbeknownst to me, my mom and my stepfather had had an argument and my stepfather left the room. And when he left their bedroom, my mom had a six sons to look into his wallet. And when she did, she found letters that my stepfather made me write before he was going to abuse me. He had me write down what he was going to do to me and he would keep them in his wallet for his sick pleasure Well, little did I know that his sick pleasure would end up being the catalyst that would end my nighttime nightmare, that and my mom. So my mom came and woke me up and asked me how long this had been going on. And I told her six years and she grabbed my face and she looked me in the eye and she said, this ends tonight. And she told me to stay in my bedroom And she went downstairs and I could hear the yelling. And that night, my mom kicked my stepfather out of the house. That night, my mom was my hero. 
that night, my mom responded appropriately, quickly, and swiftly, Mm. which is exactly what I am trying to encourage every single parent to respond. Because what I think parents don't understand is when you respond appropriately and quickly, you reduce the effect and the byproduct of the trauma. There is brokenness, there is crack, there is damage. However, when parents don't believe, it is so much worse. When parents believe and support and do that correct response, it reduces the trauma, it reduces the depression, and it reduces the PTSD. And I am grateful to this day for my mom and that response. Every time I hear that story, I oh, I get tears in my eyes because the value in having a mom that believes in you and ends that situation immediately is everything. And, yeah. you know, I've long said, I think one of the most frustrating things about being human is being misunderstood. When you know what's going on inside of you and you want so badly to communicate that to another human being and that human being not understanding you or having an inability to understand what you're trying to communicate is so difficult. How much more in a perilous situation like you were in would it have been to have gone to your mom and not had that affirmation. Yeah. That and that's where I want to talk about the statistics which blow my mind because I have a really hard time you and I've talked about this so many times and I always I in fact I was talking with Missy Maxwell Wharton about this the other day the mother bear thing that kicks in. I really like her description of the lioness. Yeah. Where whatever however you want to describe it that's me. My finer moments in life have not been when I've been protecting my children, let me tell you. <laughs> I can go a little berserk. <laughs> and so I have a really hard time thinking about parents that wouldn't do what your mom did. And yet you have statistics that illustrate that is not the case, that the vast majority of kids that approach their parents with something like that are not believed. Yeah. Tell us about that. Yeah. Well, first, let me start with the Justice Department shares with us that 97 to 98% of reported cases Proved to be true, 97 to 98, yet only one third of parents believe. So now think about that. We've got 97 to 98% compared to 33 and a third percent. We have a massive disconnect. And we've <laughs> got. You think? Yes. We have got to bridge that gap. That is massive. And if anything, you want parents to hear that. Children do not lie about abuse, especially sexual abuse. We, they deserve investigating. Yes, we know that 2 to 3% can prove to be false. However, that number deserves investigating. We have to. 50%, only, only 50% of reported cases get investigated. That's half, half 
That is so are you talking about investigated by authorities or investigated by parents? Authorities. Ugh. So only a third of a parents would even move forward to authorities. And then why is that? I, I, <laughs> I don't understand. I don't. I, I, I can't fathom that. But yet it's out there. It is our reality. And as uncomfortable as these statistics are, we have to know our reality. I agree 100%. Because if you know your reality, and you understand even as a parent who may or may not be inclined to listen to your kid, if you know that there's a 97 to 98% chance that your kid is speaking truth, yes, then you can move forward into reaction. Yes, yes, and yes. Yeah. Wow. I think, wouldn't you say, I hope we're getting better as as well in communicating. I, I feel like this has been a problem from the beginning of time, but for whatever reason, it seems to be accelerating. And I don't think what we see uh, in media, et cetera, et cetera, don't need to go there, is any help. And yet I do think concurrently, and I hope and pray this is true, there seems to be a more open line of communication between parents and kids these days, despite those statistics. Now, I'm not, I'm not countering that, but I'm thinking about my own life. So huh, my parents and my grandparents, I've seen even a difference between the way that they communicated. There was a time, you know, when kids were seen and not heard, right? And oh, so they were kind of pushed away and considered. And, and I understand a lot of that historically was that parents at one point had stood a very large chance of losing their children. And so for the longest time, they did not put value in them for fear of having that value taken. It's just, it's fascinating. And we see that in literature throughout the centuries, uh, or at least in the 17, 1800s, 1800s, primarily, you see this. And Yet I look at my grandmother and her refusal to communicate with my mother. And I remember my mother had this story. It's just a crazy one where she and her friend Jan, whom I'm named after, ran around town thinking my mother's friend was dying when she got her period for the first time because nobody had told her that's what happened. And even that, I just I laugh because even having had that experience, my mom still uh, I remember Aww. seeing commercials on television as a kid and I'd ask her about them and she'd say, oh, oh, you know, that's nothing or whatever. <laughs> like, I, I just feel like we have made leaps and bounds where it comes to communicating. And so one would think then that parents and kids would be able to reason with this, not that a child has any reason or skill there, but what I'm saying is I would think that parents these days are in a better position to hear what their kids have to say than ever before. And yet they're not doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I it, I know. And I think that's the biggest thing is I encourage parents have those conversations, sit down, talk to your children, listen to your children, play with your children. The gift in that, just that little bit of playtime, whether it's 10 minutes, 15 minutes, half hour to an hour, children become comfortable and they talk more when they are comfortable, especially if it's an uncomfortable conversation. So your advice is slow the heck down. Stop, you know, pull yourself away from the stove or the laundry (laughs) or the desk, the computer and sit down with your kids and know them. And talk to them. Step number one. 
Yes, 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 yes. So yes, you in Broken to Beautifully Whole, you came up with six attributes that really changed your situation and brought you into a place of healing. Do you want to share those? Oh, I would love to. Um, I'll list them out and then I'll tell a little bit about each one of them. Perspective. You had mentioned earlier when you summed up in one word and perspective was the first attribute that I applied in my life. Even when I was a little girl, I would learn that if I could focus on the good grade I got on the test or the compliment from the teacher, it would reduce my pain. And it didn't take away my pain, but it would reduce it. And the reality with our perspective is it is the way we see the world. And the way we see the world is how we experience the world. And it's a choice. And it's a gift in that choice. And perspective propels healing when we can shift it to a better one. Next was resilience. Just by surviving our hurts, our setbacks, our traumas, we build resilience. Yet, what I want to share is if you carry a continual negative perspective, you actually tear down your resilience. Each attribute that I share with you connects piece by piece, just like Kintsugi, which is on the front of my cover. We can come back to that. But resilience is the ability for us to grow when we rise above our adversities. And I share in my book different ways that every single one of us can build our resilience. So I, I, yeah, and I'm sorry to stop down there, but I do want to say I love that because resilience is something that increases exponentially. And I have found that every time that we go through something that's just really rough, it does make us stronger and it does build resilience. And then we move forward into a new place. So resilience is intentional, I think, on the part of God, something he's cultivating in us to equip us and to create good soldiers. (laughs) I I love that part of it. And of course, perspective. Wow. True that perspective is everything. Okay, go on. Love these attributes. Yeah. Thank you. Um, Gratitude. Mm. It is with gratitude. There is a saying I love and it is it is not happiness that makes us grateful. It is gratefulness that makes us happy. Love that. Love it. So that means within our gratitude, we can find more joy And it is huge. And the other greater gift with gratitude is when you fully adapt it as habit, keyword habit, it reworks the neurobiology in our brain for our betterment. And when we do that, we reduce depression, we reduce anxiety, and we reduce PTSD. Wow. Yeah, for sure. And then the next one is hard for all of us. But it's even harder when you've suffered abuse, and that is self-compassion. Ooh, that is a tough pill to swallow. (laughs) Yeah. It is. Oh, yeah, yeah. It is. It is the ability to extend empathy and kindness towards ourselves. Hmm. And many times, too many of us are bad at bullying ourselves. Oh, yeah. 
we say to ourselves that we would never say to our best friend. And that's hard. That tears us down instead of lifting ourselves up. It takes that awareness and that ability to shift the mindset to talking to yourself exactly the way you would your best friend. And that propels healing and growth in a much healthier mindset. I agree. I think we all need to stop saying, what is wrong with me? And flip that to, what is right with me? Yes. Yes. It's so hard. (laughs) Oh, my word. It is. That's the toughest one of your attributes. We, I agree. I think we are so tough on ourselves and that just isn't the way God sees us. We need to work on seeing ourselves the way he sees us. Yeah. Well, and the other also wonderful gift with self-compassion is it also works the neurobiology in the brain for our betterment. So it is so valuable to fully adapt and shift. Yeah. So my next one would be faith. And to me, faith offers love, compassion, and strength. Yet I have to be honest and say this was not easy for me. And this was a big part of my pilgrimage. And it took a while. When you lay in bed at night and pray for this travesty against you to end, and for six years your prayers go unanswered, You ask, how could a God exist? Or how could a God exist and let this happen to children all over the world? Or what I also asked, if he does exist, does he think I'm bad too? And I deserve it because Mm -hmm. that is exactly what I thought and believed about myself. I can't see that you would have been able to think otherwise, to be honest. Yeah. That's a that's a natural response. And when it comes to faith, I think so often that's where we go. That's where the enemy wants to take us. That this thing has happened because we haven't prayed enough. We haven't had enough faith. We haven't done things right. We we deserve the punishment, or at least the very least, it's some sort of discipline. Instead of understanding that as hard as it is and unthinkable as it is to go there, that whatever we are experiencing, God intends for good. I mean, look at you, all of the people that you're impacting, Kathy, and yet at that time, it must have felt like God had abandoned you. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I did. And I did. And when you ask those questions, it's, it is not a quick trip. Yet, believe it or not, it was a journey that I made the choice to go on, and it was a pilgrimage. And I I studied people with strong faith, and I studied people with no faith. I read books, I read scripture, and I was blessed to go on an Emmaus walk. And I was grateful that my faith ultimately landed in that place of love, compassion, and strength, and knowing that God could not control what happened to me because we have free will. Yet, God could be with me for that strength and that support and that resilience to endure and rise above within the nighttime nightmare. 
So I want to talk about the Emmaus Walk, and here's where I get real. And I told you earlier I was going to get real with our listeners. So I love authenticity. Boy, I flay it wide open. So the other day, we talked and we had this great interview, but there was all kinds of feedback on the line. So we had to ditch it and start over again. And I always say, I love organic conversation where everything just kind of happens naturally. And here we are talking and I'm thinking, okay, I'm just trying to go through the steps of the first interview, what we asked. <laughs> and so, and so, you know, to make sure the it's flow is right, all that. Yeah, well, we're pulling it off somehow. I, I don't even hear any yeah. interference on the line. So thank you, Jesus. Yay. So, yes. And the thing is, I wanted to point this out. This is so amazing to me because the other day when you mentioned Emmaus Walk, I didn't know what that was. And I asked you, what is an Emmaus Walk? And that's when I was blown away because that morning, as I had been sipping my coffee in bed, I had opened my Bible, as I do in the morning, and I had asked the Lord for something to read that would be poignant for the day. And he led me to the the uh, section in Luke where Jesus has just risen. And I remember thinking, I know, this is me being really brutally honest. I remember thinking, oh, this is so great, but I'd like to read something more Christmassy. I could, you know, I'd like to read that, you know, the resurrection story when it when we're nearing Easter. This is what a rotten human being I am. So I remember hearing I so. him say, just stick with it, Janet. <laughs> so I continued to read and it was the story of, you know, the, the tomb was empty and the women had gone to the tomb, which again, that story I reflected upon. The interesting part of that is women were not valued in society at the time. And the fact that the story included women going to the tomb and finding it empty first just gives credibility to the story because if it had been made up, the men would have found the tomb first. But I've reflected upon that, and then I continued, and I read that as a couple of uh, the disciples were walking toward Emmaus, and yeah. I remember dropping down for a minute and thinking, oh, I don't think I've ever really noticed that word before. It looks like Emma. Well, I have a daughter named Emily, and we call her Emma sometimes, and so I remember thinking, oh, it starts E-M-M-A. Oh, for some reason, I feel like this is an important place. I need to pay attention. And so anyway, I'm I'm reading the story about the two men and and Jesus shows up and he's walking with them and their hearts are sort of on fire, but they don't realize it's Jesus. Yep. They um, they said, you know, Jesus basically said to paraphrase, hey, what's going on? What, you know, what's happening? And the guy said, haven't you heard? The Christ is risen. And uh, they continued to have this discussion with him from Jerusalem to Emmaus, which was about six miles and so they get to Emmaus, and finally the the ending is he ends up having dinner with the two and revealing himself, and they were just dying because they had just walked with Jesus and yeah. spoken with him, but they didn't know it. So I sat there in bed thinking, wow, what a takeaway, because I so often walk with Jesus, and I have no idea that he's there with me or that he's talking to me. So I had this sort of like epiphany that very morning you and I talked, and then you told me you went on an Emmaus walk, and I asked you what that was, and it was the very same thing. And that's another one of those goosebump moments that God does if you are aware. It's not a coincidence. So having all of that to say, (laughs) tell me about your Emmaus walk for the second time. Yeah, it's... (laughs) It well, it's an amazing weekend. It's a weekend where you stay with other women. They also have them for men, 
And there are talks, there are group meetings and personal shares and speakers. And it is a weekend about love. And it's a weekend to grow in your relationship with God, no matter where you are. And the amazing part about the weekend (coughs) is you had women who had just stuck their big toe on the road to see if they could meet Jesus or God. And you had people who were very far on their walk. But the gift was no matter where you were, you grew and you knew ultimately it was about love and the love that God has for us and the value of extending that love to others. Mm, I love that. That is so good. Yeah. Yeah. It it was beautiful. It really Mm. was. It is. It's a life altering weekend. So your faith changed then. It did. It did. And shortly thereafter, the gift in that, the next gift was that I could then consider the possibility of forgiveness, which felt impossible. Right. That brings me to my last attribute that was by far the hardest for me and the longest part of my pilgrimage. And again, I asked myself, how how do you forgive someone who cracked and broke you and stripped you of your childhood innocence? Hmm. That's... Or what did he do to deserve my forgiveness? Right. That's and very difficult. It It is. And let me be very clear, it is not easy. And I share in my book how I walked that part of my journey. And I invite others to do it sooner and quicker than I did. But what I really want people to know or think about is another saying I love. Holding on to anger and resentment is like drinking poison, but expecting the other person to die. I love that so much because it is so true. We only hurt ourselves when we refuse to forgive. Yes. And we don't see it that way. And it's not. We, the poison is within us and we give power to that person or that infraction. Agree. Only let forgiveness in, we gain our power back and we deserve that. We, we sure do. Freedom. Right. And that gift. Wow. Yeah. I mean, the forgiveness is everything. That's when you can finally let go of the bondage of the experience. Yeah. And so therein lies the difference, though, Kathy. That's probably the single biggest thing um, as part of faith that differentiates your message from others when you have already moved past the forgiveness stage and well into forgiveness and past holding on to all of it. Therefore, that frees the message. And it's one now of healing and joy and celebration in what can be achieved through that, as opposed to I need to I need to play in, for lack of a better way to describe it, just to wallow sort of in the muck and play in the mud. And and I, I, it breaks my heart. it, It holds us in that victim role. And we have every right to rise above and thrive and become the victor instead. 
You know, I think some people don't understand that even just, it's one thing to talk about it, another thing to put it into action. But I think there are those that don't even want to talk about it because they don't consider it a viable option, to be honest. Yeah. I I went through this myself. I had quite a lot of hurt in my life. And when I would talk to people about it, um, even my even my own kids, to be honest, sometimes they would say, I don't understand, mom, why you're not angry. I don't understand why you can be so easy about this, why you can move on so easily. It's almost as if you haven't mourned it enough. You haven't explored it enough. And I feel like it's that stone that I can continue turning over and over and over again in my hands. And it really just doesn't do me any good. I just need to let go of it, right? I need to just throw it away, throw it into the sea. And, And yet to communicate that on a level where people understand it's not a weakness in you. It's a strength in you that allows you to move forward. Um, that's something else. That's a lot for, for some people. And I get that. Yeah. Because it seems as though you haven't given it the proper attention. And and I don't know what that means for some. Do we just hold on to the, the stuff all, all our whole lives? Yeah. We know that it makes us bitter. It is poison. We need to move on. We need to forgive. And we need to do it legitimately and authentically. Yes. I- because, yeah, that's where the healing is. I think there's a part of us that thinks that it, if we forgive, it condones. And it doesn't. Mm, it- that's it. That's it. Yeah, it does not. 100%. It does not condone the action. It does not excuse the action. It just gives you your power back. It's a great point, Kathy. Yeah, thank you for that. Oh, sure. That is exactly what I would like to articulate yep. when I come up against that sort of argument. It's not condoning. No. Oh, you're too nice, mom. You're such a pushover. No, not really. Right, right. I I know where my strength comes from, and I know what my calling is. And um, I I know that obedience to that is so fruitful and so liberating. Yeah. So I want to talk about Kintsugi because we haven't done that yet. <laughs> and your book is, and listen, I have been so remiss in not saying this. Oh, my word. Your book won the Author Elite Award this year. Oh, yeah. And, it, and so remind me of the genre. It is self-help. Self-help. That's what I thought. Okay. So in self-help, and it is so worthy of that award. Uh, The awards were virtual this year, were experiential. And when I in Kansas City was watching you in Columbus, Ohio, receive your award, I about fell out of my seat. I was so (laughs) excited for you. you. Um, So I had forgotten to give you that proper credit so this cover of yours is absolutely stunning. It is a beautiful piece of pottery that is turquoise and it is um uh, it has rivers of gold wound throughout. Explain that for us. It is called Kintsugi, like you said, and it was the perfect metaphor for my healing pilgrimage that I went through. And I wanted everybody to know that achieving Kintsugi is possible. So if you don't know, it is a Japanese art form where they take broken pottery and they put it back together piece by piece with lacquered silver, platinum or gold 
And it comes with the philosophy that when something has been broken, it can be repaired and become stronger and more beautifully whole. So the cracks are actually meant to be highlighted, not hidden. It Mm. means to embrace our imperfections. Oh, gosh, I love that. And it gets back to your resilience point, because you are stronger for every repair you make in gold. Yes. Right? Yes. It's so empowering. We need not live in the past. We need not be debilitated by it or weakened by it in any means. We can use each one of our experiences to create Kintsugi. Exactly. Our past does not have to define who we become. We get to define who we become. Hmm. I love that. That is amazing. Wow. So I, yeah, I mean, I just job well done. You know, I'm one of your greatest fans. I so admire your bravery. Um, You know, one of the things that, or the purpose of this podcast really is to empower others to move forward into their own strength, their own calling, dynamic purpose, to be socially influential, which is what you are doing, and to recognize your relevance. And recognizing relevance comes when you understand what your purpose is, and you are brave enough to move into that. And I also really am encouraged by what God is doing to support all of that. And so this is a place, obviously, where we talk about all of the little things he's doing, as you've just shared, and the big things too, and the supernatural things. And every one of us has different experiences and and gifts that the Lord gives us to this end. And I'm always reminded of a saying that's one of my most favorite, and that is, he who resents what, or if, let me just put it this way, if you resent what God is doing in someone else's life, you miss what he's doing in your own. And Uh I love that when it comes to these different experiences and the way God reveals himself to us. And I don't want anyone to ever walk away from listening here and think, wow, I don't have those experiences. Like Jesus didn't show up to me in person or in a vision, or I didn't have that, you know, bolt of lightning moment or light coming in through the window, whatever it is. <laughs> right. It's, it's, all, right. It's, all, it's all good. And that's why it's so important we share with one another. So we, we get to expose all sorts of different gifts. But, you know, to that end, you shared with me something that happened to your mom. And I am... So impressed with your mom. My heart just goes out to her as a mom because, you know, as a parent, you do the best job you can and we're not perfect. And so your mom is one of my heroes. And I think it's so difficult as a parent because we make mistakes and we are human and talk about forgiveness of ourselves, you know, for making whatever mistakes that we make. But she she had a lot going on, and my heart goes out to her given the set of circumstances that she found herself in when she learned of your abuse by your stepfather, and especially because she had already lost a child, and I had no idea that this had happened when we talked the first time. And would you share a little bit about that and then what she experienced from the Lord after all of this had happened? Yeah, my uh, my mom, after my mom and dad married, my mom became pregnant with her first child. And unfortunately, 
Um, when she was six months old, her name was Candy. And my mom was walking down some steps with my sister Candy and in one arm, and she had a laundry basket in the other arm. And my mom slipped on the wooden steps and she fell. And unfortunately, Candy's head cracked open and they rushed her to the emergency room. And unfortunately, my sister passed. She didn't make it. And that was a tough, tough situation for my mom. And oh, I can't it, imagine. It was shortly after that experience where my mom actually became atheist. She was angry. My mom was raised Catholic, became Lutheran when she married my dad. And then after that became atheist. And fast forward, then my mom finds out that her thirdborn unfortunately had been abused by her then husband while my mom was working nights to provide for the family. So as you can imagine, her guilt was immense. Sure. And one night my mom was laying in her bedroom crying and sobbing and didn't think she could take the pain anymore and just didn't know where to turn, didn't know what to do, and just kept screaming out loud, I can't take this, I can't take this, I can't take this. And what happened next is incredible. I didn't get to see it, but she shared it with me. But all of a sudden, when her pain was so immense and all the lights were off in the room, my mom suddenly felt the huge glow and there was about a five-foot mass of light. That's all it was. It was just light. And my mom said in that moment, there was warmth and peace like she's never felt in her life before. That's amazing. I want to say wow, but that doesn't seem an appropriate response. <laughs> I know. <laughs> no words. No words. It's yeah, right. Yeah, right. And, and then I have to share another experience where I'm going to go back to candy. Yes. And when I was writing my book, it was hard, especially the part, the small part in the book where I reshare my story. Again, like you said, it is not graphic. However, I had to explain what created my brokenness. And after I would write it and reread it out loud, I'm dyslexic and it helps me to hear it better and understand, am I articulating what I truly want to say, reading it out loud? And then I would cry and because it was hard, but at the same time, it was empowering to completely fully release it. But here's the fascinating part. Every time I did that, for some reason, Candy, who I've never met, I've never met her here on earth. She was born before my brother. And because she passed, we never saw each other. But in these weird moments, every time I would feel that emotional, Candy would pop into my head. Hmm. And I know this is hard to explain, but the only thing I can say or the means I have to explain it is I know that my sister Candy was with me when I wrote my book as probably an extra means of strength 
And another means of saying, yeah, this is what you're supposed to do, girl. Keep going. Yeah. So lest anyone think, well, that's coincidence. I want to share something <laughs> that will <laughs> back up what you're saying. So I, I truly think that there are opportunities that we have when those sorts of things happen. And we could, we can take those opportunities and use them for encouragement if we are aware that what is happening is real and we're not dismissing it out of hand as something that is coincidence. So what I mean by that is um, my daughter, Rachel, was getting ready to leave on a bus trip early one morning. It was about 4 a.m. She was heading off with a church group to Colorado to the top of this mountain where they do some climbing. And it's it's uh, it's a good time. But when she left, she was sad. It was her first trip. I don't remember how old she was. She was a teenager. And she said, Mom, I just really don't want to leave. And of course, I was sort of emotional, too. It's 4 a.m. for crying out loud. I hadn't had coffee yet. <laughs> coffee changes everything. Um and so she gets, she gets, uh, her dad takes her and they leave the house and I sit down at the table and I decided I would start writing her some letters. And I just kept hearing this song in my head that I hadn't heard in a while. It was Whom Shall I Fear? But it wasn't that part of it. It was the chorus that says, the God of angel armies is always by my side. I kept hearing that part over and over again. The God of angel armies is always by my side. And all of a sudden, I stopped and I paused, which was so unlike me, because, you know, you have songs rattling around your head all of the time. And I always tease my girls when they make me listen to something in the car that's, you know, ridiculous that I can't get it out of my head. Like, where are you Christmas? Anyway, um, they play that at all times of the year. It makes me nuts. And then I wake up, you know, singing it. But so on this particular day, I just really thought I took a moment and I heard God say, yep, pay attention, pay attention. And I said, oh, my goodness, you're telling me that angel armies are surrounding those buses as they go up that mountain. And I then immediately started just coloring like a little two-year-old, well, like a young kid. Um, I I don't, I didn't inherit any sort of artistic ability from my dad, who was an artist. So there's my stick figures, uh, you know, with angel wings on them. <laughs> so I started coloring them thinking, oh, that'll be fun. I'll get out the crayons as part of my letter, you know, I'll include that in my letter. Sure. Anyway, she gets back and uh, she hears me telling a friend about it. I said, I just really felt like the God of angel armies was surrounding them. And I was singing this song all week long, Whom Shall I Fear? And she was sitting at the island in the kitchen and she got up and ran over to me and said, Mom, Mom. And I said, what? She says, Mom, I, I've got to tell you, that was the song we sang all weekend, all week long. That oh was my- the song. That was our theme song. And I said, oh, oh my goodness. I had chills. And then later on, her youth director posted a video of the kids climbing up the mountain. And he had one of those devices attached to his helmet that allowed them to climb, or he, that allowed him to film as they were climbing. And guess what song he set that climb to? Oh, my God. It was Whom Shall I Fear? That was so concrete for me, that understanding. It, 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 what, the way that he communicates became so much more real. Yeah. Well, 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 well. Thank you, my friend, for talking with me today. I hope that, um, and I know that what you've had to say is so encouraging to people who will listen. Is there anything else you want to add as we close? Yeah, I would, I would finish with a few statistics just to raise awareness. 
Right. I forgot. We need to do the call to action too. Okay. Yes. I Statistically, I would want people to know that there's 48 million survivors of sexual abuse just in the United States. And please know that 85% don't report, which means we have to ask ourselves, what is our real number? Mm. And then 10, every 10 seconds in the United States, a child is abused or neglected. That's six children in one minute. So think about how many children from the time you jumped on this podcast to listen to when you jump off, how many will be abused or neglected. And the other one is one out of six. One out of six boys will be sexually abused in some form before the age of 18. Think of your sons, your grandsons, your nephews, their friends, classmates, teammates, Now reapply that statistic. One in four girls will be sexually abused in some form before the age of 18. That does not include cat calls or obscenities. Think of your daughters, granddaughters, nieces. It's it's infuriating. Yes. Reapply that statistic. Are you comfortable with these numbers? I am not. And I know every single one of us can take an action. Number one, as a survivor, there is tremendous value in breaking the silence. It propels a resolution in the brain and supports healing. And it also gives us a reality of what our real statistics are when we break the silence. Number two. So, oh, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say this is the uncomfortable conversation that you talk about. You know, Kathy, and I, and then I want to hear what you have to say. I, I really think there are some that find this so uncomfortable, they won't even listen to the podcast. Right. Unfortunately, true. Yeah. Yeah. But again, that is what perpetrators and abusers want. Mm, Good point. They don't want you to talk about it. When we are silent, they hold the power. Exactly. It's bringing it out into the light. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So what I also would want to add is if someone shares with you, Be that safe place. Respect the vulnerability. What they are saying out loud took a tremendous amount of courage to say it out loud. It is hard. Mm, And then believe. Go back to what we said. Believe. Investigate. But believe. Support. Let them know that it was not their fault. We have the ability to not say, don't fall into that trap to, well, did you misinterpret or what did you say or the one that I hate? What did you wear? Right. That is not on the victim or what happened to them. The support is dramatic. It is so valuable to believe. And while all belief is important, it's also, I think, important for us to distinguish here between 
allegations of harassment and allegations of abuse. Yeah. There's a difference. Sure. Ab- and that's a topic for another day. But yeah. I think it's it's important to clarify because I think that maybe we've become a little desensitized, if we're being honest, because there's so many allegations, there's so many um, offenses these days. And what one might interpret as offensive, another might not. If, you know, we're just being real. This is something, your stats are legitimate actions taken against other human beings, particularly children. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, people say children are resilient. Well, yeah, they are to a point. And you, we have to respond. We have to believe that resiliency is torn down when the infraction or the abuse happens. Mm. So, yes, they are. Good point. We're not out there to, to break them down as much as we can. They deserve that support. They deserve healing. Um, so I would also want to share that we can teach our children consent. What does consent look like? What does consent sound like? Body boundaries. Start teaching our children this at a young age. By the age of three, they can understand body and body parts and that it is okay to say no and then teach them secrets. There's bad secrets and there's good secrets and teach them that it's okay to be a tattletale. Right. Yes. Because the abuser will tell them, you know, nobody likes a tattletale. So you can't do that. However, it is huge. You can save someone. You can stop the abuse so much sooner if we allow kids to know that it's okay to tell. Yeah, I think we we need to preemptively strike as parents. I know I told my kids growing up, listen, if anyone ever says to you, don't tell your mom, or this is a secret, come tell your mom, come tell your mom. And I remember there was a case in point, my son had arrived back to the house on his bike from around the corner, I think he was about 12. And he told me that another kid had said he was going to kick his, you know, and take his bike and, you know, he wasn't to tell his mother and uh, my son came home and told his mother first thing. And guess what his mother did? Getting back to that lioness mar- mother bear. <laughs> his mother didn't waste any lick of time to get down the street, around the corner and show up at that boy's home. And I had a talk with that boy's mom. And let me tell you, there was never a problem after that. See, I I really I love that. I think that every parent needs to let their kids know there's no secrets. You come to mom, you come to dad all of the time. Yes. Because we're here for you and we believe you and we're, we're don't, don't believe what anybody else has to say about keeping secrets. That's, That's great. Yes. So I, and I think Kathy, you know, one of the things that we can do, as I sit here listening to you, so what can I do just one person today to affect change? And I would say, Share your message. Share Kathy's message. Yes. Um, Encourage people to listen to this podcast. Encourage people to read her book. Listen to what she is saying as she advocates for this truth. Have those uncomfortable conversations. Please. 
But what I'm saying is if you don't have an, if there isn't an uncomfortable conversation to be had, because perhaps you don't have kids or uh, your kids are grown and you don't have grandkids or whatever it is, share the message, get it out there, start the conversation somewhere. Yes, yes, yes. It is time. It's time to break the silence. It's time for the uncomfortable conversations. It is time to defeat the statistics. And it is time for all to know who are broken that they can become beautifully whole. So one more thing before I let you go, tell us what you're doing. You have a webinar that you have up and running and a website. How can people find you for more information, Kathy? kathystuder.com c-a-t-h-y-s-t-u-d-e-r and you, my free webinar pops up on my website and I would love for everybody to check it out it actually also comes with a free assessment to see where you may fall within your own brokenness and I've got some speaking opportunities on there that people can check it out along with some coaching opportunities I'm launching a new online course where if people truly want to learn how to adapt the six attributes that I talk about into their life as habit, they can jump on and do it from the comfort of their own home. (laughs) And I think it's important to note here that this program is for everyone. Kathy doesn't just talk about how to recover from child childhood issues or abuses, but rather this is for anyone who has suffered trauma that needs to move beyond that. It's extremely helpful. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yes. And I love that even, tell me about the prisoners that got a hold of your book. Oh, I was honored. My, uh, the uh, Delaware County Sheriff, the local sheriff where I live, actually took my book and put it into the Delaware County Jail. And I received a note from a prisoner who had read it and had had some issues himself and brokenness, which is why he felt he landed in jail. And he just sent me the most beautiful and heartwarming letters saying how it changed his life and how he could look at his life very differently and step into knowing that he was worth healing and he was worth sharing his story. And oh my gosh, that is just, it gives value to why you're on this path and why so many others can heal and others can be empowered as well. Job well done, my friend. And all of your speaking engagements and and what you're doing to make the world a better place one day at a time is just laudable. I am so proud of you. you. And you are a shining example of what we all need to be doing, that we just need to step into that strength, tap into what we've been given, use those experiences, however unpleasant they may be, to create joy as Kathy has done, it is possible. You can do it. And I so appreciate you. Oh, thank you. Back at you, my dear friend. Thank you. Kathy Studer, author, award-winning author of Broken to Beautifully Whole. Please continue to join us on Color Speak wherever you find your podcasts. This is J.M. Huxley for Truth Talk on Color Speak, celebrating relevance, restoration, social influence, and dynamic purpose in all places and all seasons.